If you're from around here, you know that over the last couple of months, we've been studying here the Apostles' Creed, one of the oldest and the most clearly stated statements of what true Christians have always believed. And I think it's fair to say, up to this point, it's going pretty well. I mean, what's not to agree on? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Pretty much everyone agrees with that. Good so far. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell, he ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And while there has been some unpacking to do with all of that, Pretty much it's hard to disagree with that, right? The Holy Spirit, the Virgin Mary, forgiveness poured out on the cross, Jesus is exalted on high. Pretty much everybody agrees pretty easily on that. But then they handed me this. Jesus Christ was crucified, died, and was buried. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father from where he will come to judge the living and the dead. Come to our house and preach on that, they said. <laughs> now listen, I think we can all acknowledge at the very outset, nobody gets excited about judgment. Nobody does. Now look, I, I, I don't know what all your personal experiences are, but if you've ever had to go before a judge, whether it was to defend your life or to explain a parking ticket, nobody likes it. Nobody likes going in front of somebody who's got the right to evaluate what we've done and then has the authority on the back end of that to give us consequences on the basis of that. Nobody likes judgment. But here it says, Jesus Christ will come again to judge the living and the dead. You know, a lot of people today say they don't even believe in it, judgment. They say in a perfect world, there'd be no judgments. You don't judge me, I don't judge you. Do your best, don't hurt other people, and everybody mind your own business. No judgments, they say. I was walking in here this morning, I walked past Crunch Gym. They got it right, in front, right on their front window there, it says, no judgments. I mean, you can't help but wonder, wouldn't that make for a better gym? Wouldn't that make for a better world? Wouldn't that make for a better religion if we just got rid of the judgment bar. I hear people say it all the time. I don't believe in a God of judgment. That's why I'm down with Jesus, they say, because he's not like that. Because Jesus is all about the love and no judgment. Except, if you actually read the Bible, that's not what it says at all. In fact, the Bible not only says that judgment is a part of what we believe, but it insists in the New Testament that Jesus Christ is the one who's personally going to carry it out. There is judgment coming, and Jesus Christ is going to carry it out. I want you to check this out for yourself. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to read it in just a minute. But if you have your Bibles, open up to Acts chapter 10. Because this is so important, and this is so countercultural, I want you to be able to see in your Bible where this is coming from for yourself. So Acts chapter 10, as you're turning there, just a minute, we're going to read it together. Now, Acts chapter 10, here's what's happening. Uh, the Apostle Peter has gone to a guy by the name of Cornelius. He's been specifically sent there by God into a group of Gentiles who desperately need to hear the good news of the gospel for themselves. Acts chapter 10, that's what's happening. Now, let me have you stand up. They're going to put it on the screen here. And then we're going to 
read it together. Okay? Read with me. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favor to... Time out! Now, I just want you to stop right there. Now, you can accuse God of a lot of things, but favoritism is not one of them. No matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what the color of your skin is or language you speak, no matter how much money is in your wallet or how much junk is in your past, no matter who you are or where you're from, if you will come to God honestly, you are as welcome to God as anybody else. Now, Peter says, I didn't always get this, but I get it now. God is not one to show favoritism. Got that one down. Let's keep going on. But accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message of God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God has appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. This is the word of the Lord. Amen? Amen. You may be seated. Mm. So this very same Jesus, Peter said, this same Jesus who was anointed by the Holy Spirit, went about doing good, healing the sick, releasing those who were bound, this very same Jesus who died on the cross for our sins, this very same Jesus has been appointed judge of the living and the dead. And what's more, he said, we have been commanded by God not to leave this part out. And then here's the thing, this whole Jesus appointed as judge of the living and the dead, this is not just like kind of a random thought thrown in one time to this obscure verse in Acts chapter 10. If you read through the New Testament, this specific concept is brought up time and time and time again. Jesus is the judge. Jesus himself said it. Said that he has been authorized by the Father and one day he will come and everyone who is living and everyone who has died I think that includes everyone, everyone living and everyone who has died, they're going to stand before him as the righteous judge. So if you're going to believe in the Jesus of the Bible, you don't have an option of believing in a Jesus of no judgments. So, what are we supposed to do with that? Here's the reason why I say that, because there are people all around us today who say, 
In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if some of us sitting right here, sometimes we at least wonder, we ask the question, wouldn't the universe be a better place with a kinder, gentler God who didn't believe in judging? People are raising the question. It's a fair question to ask. Wouldn't the universe be a better place with a kinder, gentler God who doesn't believe in judging? It's a fair question. And here's what I want to encourage you to do. In search of the answer, what I want you to, to encourage you to do is to consider the alternative. Here's what I mean by that. Let's assume that, hypothetically speaking, there is a God up there. And this God is so completely affirming and so, you know, 100% open-minded that he would just never consider judging anybody. Are you absolutely sure that the universe would be a better place with a God like that in charge? In my city, Denver, just about two years ago, early on a Friday evening, there was a young woman by the name of Zayma B. that was making her way home. Zayma's a refugee from Burma. She's a recent arrival to the United States, and she's the proud mother of two little boys, eight and six years old. Early on that Friday evening, she was holding them both by the hands. She was walking home quickly. She was eager to get them home and get them fed some supper. As the three of them were making their way through the crosswalk, suddenly careening around the corner came a silver SUV, just barreling around that corner. And he rammed into Zayma and he hurled her across the street, crumpling up against the sidewalk with a broken arm and a broken leg. But her pain does not come from broken bones. Because in that same instant, that same reckless driver killed both of those little boys. In fact, that driver was going so fast, and he hit them so hard, and he left their little bodies so mangled that later they could only positively identify them using dental records. But here's what's unthinkable in the story. Absolutely inhumane. Denver, Colorado. The driver of this SUV, seeing what they have done, speeds away as fast as they can, leaving this mother broken in the street beside the bodies of her two dead children. Now, the detectives have followed up every lead. The police have, have offered a reward. But it would appear, at least to date, that that driver is getting away with murder. And what's worse, the clock is ticking. And soon the statute of limitations is running out. And when it does, no matter what evidence they find or what uh, witness would come forth, they would have no grounds to prosecute this reckless, heartless driver who would not only do it, but would drive away leaving a mother and her dead children laying in the streets. Now me personally, I hope they catch the son of a gun who would do such a thing. But as a realist, I also have to accept the fact that sometimes in this life, people get away with murder. But I don't like it, and it makes me mad. Now, I don't know about you, but me personally, I want to believe that there is a judge somewhere. That even if they don't catch up with them in this life, there is a judge somewhere who has all the facts. And there is a judge somewhere that you cannot outrun. And the statute of limitations does not apply to this one. And someday, there's a judge who's going to make it right for Zayma B. 
But I mean, think through the alternative. Think it through now. Because some people would say, no, I don't want judgment in my better, kinder universe. Maybe they're right. Maybe in that better universe, at least if you just drive away fast enough, if you just clean up the evidence good enough, if you outsmart the cops long enough, in that universe, as long as you get away with it, there is no judgments. Is that really the better universe that we're trying to envision? Think about it now. What kind of God really would that be? This God that we imagine is so 100% affirming of whatever choice we make, that no matter how great the evil, he could never look into the face and say, what you did is wrong, you're going to have to answer for it, because in my universe, you don't get away with murder. Think about it. Are you absolutely sure that you would want a universe where there is a God in charge who absolutely does not believe in judging? See, here's the truth. For all of the open-minded, non-judgmental talk that goes around, most people down deep, if they're honest about it, they don't mind the idea of a God who will pour out judgment on wickedness and evil. Here's the catch. Most people just want to reserve the right to decide what the definition of wickedness and evil is. It's true. That's why statistics tell us that in the United States, 80% of people still believe in a place called hell after this life. Here's the catch. 98% of them say somebody else besides them ought to go there. <laughs> it's true. Look it up. People believe in judgment. They just want to decide who gets it. So here's the first thing you need to get a hold of today. There is a God, according to the Bible, who is the judge who will one day set all things right. And thank God for that. Here's the second thing. You are not him. And thank God for that. <laughs> and neither am I, and you can thank God for that as well. Peter says here in Acts 10.42, this same Jesus of Nazareth is the one whom God has appointed as judge of living and the dead. So here's what I want to do for you real quickly this morning. I want to give you three specific reasons why the coming judgment of Jesus Christ is something that we should be thankful for. Catch this now. Three specific reasons why, not just that we should believe in it, but we should actually be thankful for it. Are you ready? Okay, here's the first reason. I want you to repeat this after me. The first reason why, repeat after me, is because this is not the end of the story. Say that again. This is not the end of the story. That's why you should be thankful. You see, the coming judgment of Jesus Christ fulfills that deep longing inside every one of us. That somehow, some way, somewhere, all of these things in this broken world that have gone terribly wrong, somebody is going to set all of them right. Because we look at whole nations that are living in oppression. We just look and we see violence in our streets. We see injustice. We see the wounds. We see the scars. And there is something deep inside of us that is longing for justice to be done. We desperately want an honest resolution for where for once in our life it didn't just get swept under the rug. In the very core of our being, God has planted it there. We know this is right. And that's why we work for justice. And that's why we do that which is good. And that's why we're leaning in towards that which is right. And yet sometimes, even for those of us that are working for justice, if we're honest, 
Sometimes we get tired. Because sometimes for all of our best efforts, honestly, we look around and it seems like the bad guys are going to just keep getting away with it. And sometimes we look around and it looks like the rich guys are just going to keep buying their way out of it. And sometimes we look around and it looks like the victims are just going to keep being pushed down further. The oppressed are just going to fall further behind. And we can't help but wonder, will justice ever really get here? But you see, even in those moments when it does not look right, even then we are still people of hope. Because we can be sure that Jesus Christ will come again. And Jesus Christ will judge the living and the dead. And though things may look upside down at the moment, we can still live with confident expectation. And here's why. Repeat after me. This is not the end of the story. That's why I still have hope even when it looks upside down out in the streets. When Jesus Christ comes again as the righteous judge, that doesn't just mean he's going to bop the bad guys on the head, but it also means that he's going to set right those who have been wronged. And in that day, the Bible says the lowly are going to be lifted up. The Bible says in that day, the hungry are going to be filled with good things. He's going to bind up the brokenhearted. And he's going to honor the forgotten. The captives are going to walk in prosperity in that day. And mothers left childless, it says. He's going to wipe away tears from their eye and fill them with a song of joy again. Yes, I'm well aware that out there it doesn't look good at the moment, but we have not lost faith. It may look like they're getting away with murder right now, but we still have hope. Because no matter how dark this day looks, this is not the end of the story. Jesus Christ is coming back, and Jesus Christ is going to set it right. Repeat it after me one more time. This is not the end of the story. I don't just believe it. I'm profoundly thankful for it for that reason. Here's a second reason why it is an incredibly good thing that Jesus Christ is the judge of the living and the dead. Because Jesus Christ is going to perfectly judge everyone. What that means, repeat after me, I don't have to judge. Oh, try that again. I don't have to judge. Now, isn't that an incredibly freeing thing? Because I know that Jesus has got his job down, and because he is going to perfectly judge, that is so freeing for me, because I just suddenly realized it's not my responsibility to condemn anybody. It's not my job to hand down a verdict on anybody. At the end of the day, absolutely nobody's going to get in, and nobody's going to be held out because of my opinion of them. And why is that? Repeat after me. I don't have to judge. That's pretty good stuff. Now, they are going to stand before the judge one day, just like I'm going to stand before the judge someday. But what that means is right now, I don't have to go around like I'm acting like I'm the judge and the jury. I don't have to go out on patrol like I'm the morality police. I don't have to go undercover like I'm some kind of Holy Spirit detective figuring out who's really in and who's faking it. Why is that? I don't have to judge. Jesus has got that job. And so all I've got to do in the meantime, I'm freed up. 
I'm freed up to just speak the truth. I'm freed up just to show the light. I am freed up to, to just show the grace and to give the love even when people look like they are as guilty as sin. Why am I free to do that? I don't have to judge. Oh, I'm glad that Jesus has got that nailed down. I'm off the hook on that. If you've got your Bibles there, turn over to Romans chapter 12 for just a minute. One book over to the right. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 and verse 17. The Apostle Paul gives the most astonishingly impossible sounding command. Romans chapter 12, 17. Here's what he says. He says, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Now, just in case you checked out for a moment, if you were listening right there, your mind should be blowing right now at the absolute impossibility of what I just said. Here, let me run it past you one more time. Paul says, never pay back. Never. I mean, not a slight, not an insult, not a diss, not a slap on your face. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Now listen, I, I don't know about you. I don't know all the ways that you've been hurt, scarred, insulted in your life. But when you hear that and you say, never? Now tell me a little bit more how in the world I'm supposed to do that. I'm hearing it, but I don't know how to do it. Because how am I supposed to do that when they deserve payback so supremely? How am I supposed to not give it to them when I have the right to do it so much? How in the world am I supposed to do that? Never pay back anything. Keep reading. He says, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Never, he says, verse 19, take your own revenge, friends, but leave room for the wrath of God. For the scripture says, and that means you have God's word on this, you have God's word on this, I will take revenge, I will pay them back, says the Lord. Because I am the righteous judge, he said, you can trust me to get the job done, and that includes payback if it's called for. And when we really believe that, and when we really trust him to get the job done, including payback, we are suddenly free to be in the grace-giving business in radical, unexpected ways. He continues on, verse 20. He says, but if your enemy, the one who deserves the payback, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if your enemy, the one who deserves the payback, is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals upon his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Because you see, if I really trust God to get the job done, and that includes the job of payback, I don't have to be in that job anymore, and that means I'm now freed up to be in the grace business in ways that would have seemed absolutely impossible before. That's why you see it is an incredibly good thing that Jesus Christ is the judge. Report, repeat after me because I don't have to judge. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. You can trust me with the payback. Last summer, June 17th, 9.05 p.m., a young man deranged, racist, hateful beyond comprehension. He stood up at the end of a prayer gathering, Mother Emanuel AME Church, 
Charleston, South Carolina. His name is Dylan Roof. With a 45 automatic in his hand and careful precision in his manner, he murdered point-blank range. Nine innocent people who had gathered for no reason other than to read their Bibles and pray. Point-blank range, he murdered an 87-year-old woman alongside her 26-year-old granddad. 74-year-old retired church worker, 70-year-old caretaker, the pastor of the church, Clem Pickney, five more. I mean, we see things happen that are just so profoundly, deeply awful. We see evil that is so unleashed. Of course there is something inside of us that is longing for a judge. This can't stand. Somebody's got to do something about this. Here's my point but for people of profoundly deep faith who have resolved that they can trust God to be the judge, who have resolved that God will take care of the payback business. They are not only able to overcome evil with good, but they are able to do it with such grace that it will literally catch the attention of the world. Two days later, Dylan Roof made his first court appearance to be charged with the crime. The survivors of his victims, not even 48 hours into their grief, asked to address the killer. These are mothers, daughters, granddaughters, brothers, husbands of the victims. One by one, they stood to address personally the racist killer. I'm going to read from a newspaper article written the next day. Here's what it said. Even the most cynical atheist had to be in awe as the family members of the murdered faithful rose one after another in the Charleston courtroom yesterday and proved the power of their own faith in the face of crushing loss. I forgive you, Nadine Collier said through tears to the accused killer of her mother, Ethel Lance. Only happened two days before. You took something very precious away from me. I will never get to talk to her again. I will never be able to hold her again. But I forgive you and have mercy on your soul. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Felicia Sanders rose next. Every fiber in my body hurt, she said. I will never be the same. Taiwanza Sanders was my son and he was my hero and you killed him. Yet instead of cursing him, she went on to say, may God have mercy on you. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Anthony Thompson stood, husband of Myra. I would just like to say the same thing. I forgive him. My family forgives him, but we would also like you to take this opportunity to repent. Repent, confess, give your life to the one who matters most, Christ. There is a judgment day on the horizon, you see. There is a judge who is coming. His name is Jesus Christ, you see. And though I can trust the judge to settle the score for me, what that means is, in the meantime, I'm not in the payback business. But because I care, I want to urge you to turn to him now while you have a chance. Because there is a judgment day coming, you see. 
Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What I'm telling you is it's true. The world, not just the people, the world will stand up and take notice if only a people can be found who would act with such unexpected kindness even to those who have been their most hateful enemies. Even the most cynical atheist, it said, had to be in awe of the family of the murdered faithful who rose in that Charleston courtroom yesterday and proved the power of their own faith, even in the midst of their own crushing pain. Knowing that Jesus Christ will come again to judge the living and the dead, it is an incredibly good thing for those of us who believe even in the face of terrible injustice. Because it means, number one, repeat after me, this is not the end of the story. Because it means, second, I don't have to judge. Here's the third reason. Why, for those of us who believe, the coming judgment of Jesus Christ is an incredibly good thing. Repeat this after me. My slate is already clean. Say it again. My slate is already clean. Oh, that's a good thing. Now, if you haven't turned, and giving your life to Jesus Christ. I can understand why Judgment Day coming would not be the most positive day on your calendar. I get that. All I'm saying is that for those of us who know the judge, for those of us who've been saved by the judge, we actually look forward to that day with eagerness. Why say it with me? My slate is already clean. That makes all the difference. You see, it turns out that there are two times that Jesus Christ appears for judgment. And both of them are about judgment on sin. And here's the best part. You get to pick which judgment day you want to be a part of. God's one and only son, Jesus Christ, has already come once for judgment on sin. But here's the deal. He didn't come to dish judgment out. He came to take judgment on. When Jesus Christ came, he didn't come to dish judgment out. He came to take judgment on. That's a really big deal. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now catch this now. Verse 17 goes on. It says, For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world should be saved through him. It goes out of its way to say he didn't come to judge the world, to save the world. This was the mission that Jesus Christ was on from the minute he was born. He didn't come to dish judgment out. He came to take judgment on. Here's what Isaiah 53 says about Jesus Christ. It says that he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment for our well-being fell on him, and by his wounds we are healed goes on to say, all of us like sheep have gone astray. You, me, everybody. Says all of us have turned to their own way. You, me, everybody. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. See, he already came, but he didn't come to dish judgment out. He came to take judgment on. Yes, I have sinned. I have sinned more times in my life than I can remember. I have sinned in worse ways in my life than I care to admit. I have sinned. That sin is wrong, and that sin will be judged. But God loves me, and God loves you. And God loves us 
So much that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect life, to die a perfect death on the cross, to take on the judgment that we deserve in our own life. So here's what you need to remember. Jesus Christ will appear twice for judgment on sin. The first time, he came to take on judgment for sin. That was the cross. The second time, he's coming to give out judgment for sin, and that is appearing in the sky. And the really great news is that we all get to choose which one of those two judgment days is going to be our judgment day. And for those of us who've chosen the judgment day that is on the cross, we are looking forward to that judgment because, say it with me, my slate is already clean. Now, I need to tell you, another judgment day is coming. But I want to warn you. You don't want to have anything to do with that judgment day. That is not a good day to be a part of. I mean, I know sometimes we tell ourselves, I'd probably be all right on judgment day, you know. I'm not the best, but I'm a pretty good person. I do more good than bad. I'm better than most. I'd probably be all right on judgment day. Yeah, it's not like that. Because the Bible says on that judgment day, he's going to bring out the secrets. It says on that judgment day, he's going to reveal the motives. On that judgment day, he's got the tape on everything you ever said. He's got the tape on everything you ever muttered. He's got the tape on everything you thought in your head, but it never came out of your mouth. The weekend in Vegas, that thing they never found, That rough patch you went through a while back when you did a bunch of stuff you regret, when you did a bunch of stuff you don't even remember, whatever the sin is, he knows about it, he's going to judge it. And Psalm 1 says, the sinner will not stand on judgment day. Now I know for me, when I really got honest and I stopped the whole, I'm a pretty good person routine, I realized in that moment I'm a sinner. And I am not going to stand on Judgment Day. So I chose the first day. Because that's the Judgment Day when Jesus Christ paid the price for all my sins. And I'm banking on that with everything I've got. And because I have, the Bible says that Jesus Christ, the judge, has now come off the bench and he's my advocate. And so when the accuser stands up, and says, we got the goods on Mike Fleischman. The judge says back, no you don't. His slate is clean. Look it up for yourself. Go ahead, look it up on the computer. Go ahead, dig in the files. You can watch all the videotape. You can dig in my past. You can sift through my junk. The judge says, my slate is clean because, you see, I've already had my judgment day, and now I'm looking forward to the day when the judge comes back. Say it with me, because my slate is already clean. So Peter says here in Acts chapter 10, it is our obligation to preach this Jesus. This same Jesus who by the Holy Spirit went about doing good, and healing the sick and setting free those who were bound. This same Jesus who died on the cross for sins. This same Jesus who rose again on the third day. This same Jesus, he said, is the one whom God has appointed as judge of the living and the dead. And thank God for that. And all the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. We believe 
that Jesus Christ is the soon and the returning judge. And not only do we believe it, but it is for us an incredibly good thing. And why is it repeat after me? Because this is not the end of the story. Here's how it works. See, repeat, I say it, you say it back. This is not the end of the story. You know why else? Because I don't have to judge. You know why else? Because my slate's already clean. Oh, I don't just believe it. It's a really good thing. Let's keep going. So listen, if, if you're here this morning, and this doesn't completely apply to you because you haven't made that choice, you're just riding along to whatever judgment day you land on, and you have never made a choice to say, hey, I've got to make up my mind, and I'm choosing that day. I've got bad news for you. The bad news is this. You have sinned, that sin is going to be judged. I got good news for you. The good news is that Jesus Christ already died to take the judgment on himself that you deserve if you will only accept that free gift. Now listen, if you've never accepted that free gift in your life, you could do that right now, right here today. Remember, God is not one to show favoritism. God isn't one to show favoritism. So it doesn't matter who you are or where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. If you will just turn to him honestly and receive that free gift, not only will he clean your slate, but he will begin from this moment forward to change you from the person you have been into the person you have always been destined to be. He's going to begin changing you one step at a time, one day at a time, less and less like who you used to be and more and more like who he's called you to be. But let me ask you a question. If you've never done this, what is your primary objection? What do you have against a God who has, knows everything about you, but he loves you so much that all he really wants to do is forgive you? What do you have against a God that all he really wants to do is clean the slate with you? What do you have against a God who simply says, I want to make things new for you? What in the world would stop you from choosing your judgment day this day? and saying, I'm taking that day, and then I'm going to look forward to the coming day. What do you have against a God like that? I want to ask you to stand up. We're just going to pray for a moment, then we'll be done. In just a moment, right now, in fact, I'm going to encourage you, if you never have, to make this a moment of faith in your life. You say, August 14th, 2016, I still remember it clearly. I chose the judgment day I wanted, and I chose the cross. And I've had, still had bumps, but I'm different. And I still mess up, but my slate is clean, because I'm different from that day. What would stop it from being this day? I'm going to encourage you, if you never have, to do that. I'm going to pray together. In fact, as you pray, I just encourage you to put your hands over your heart. I'm going to give you a moment. This may be the quietest couple moments you get all week long. Maybe do business with God. Even in this moment, you could say a prayer like this, quietly in your own heart. You could say, dear Jesus, you are the judge and I have sinned. I am guilty, but 
you are the forgiver. I'm taking you at your word that you died to pay the price. I'm receiving that gift. I'm adding nothing. And to the best of my ability, to the best of my knowledge, with your help, I'm going to follow you one step at a time, one day at a time from this day forward. Forgive me. Change me. Just want to ask a specific question. Is there anyone here today who would say, would just say, you know what, this is my day. I'm choosing my judgment day today. Just by, I'll just look just between you and me. I just want to be a witness. Is there anybody like that today who would say, this is my day? I'm choosing my judgment day today. Anybody like that? Just look up here. I just want to, I won't do anything more to you. I just want to know that I can just rejoice with you, be a witness together with you. God's doing something in your life today. Anybody else like that today? Oh, Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that while you have every right in the world to throw the book at us, you took on judgment for us. Lord, we are a people of joy today. We are a people of expectation today. We are a people of unbreakable hope today because you are coming back. We are not dreading your return. We're looking forward to your return. The righteous judge that we know who has saved us and is going to set all things right. Thank you, Jesus, that you can be trusted. Thank you that we are no longer in the payback business. Thank you that we are free to give grace. Thank you that you will set all things right, that you are that good of a God. And everybody said... Amen. Let me leave you with one word and then I'm going to walk out. It's the word stand. We're singing about stand before we went. Two verses here. Psalm 1 says that the sinner will not stand in the day of judgment. And that describes me before Jesus. That describes you before Jesus. The sinner will not stand in the day of judgment. But the book of Jude in the New Testament says now to him who is able to make you Stand in the day of his appearing, holy with great joy. To him be the glory forever and ever. If you try to stand on your own two feet in the presence of the righteous judge, it ain't going to happen. But in Jesus Christ, he is able to make you stand holy and joyful. And if you're covered in him, if you've chosen your judgment,